Welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. This week's episode comes with a content warning for discussion of euthanasia and assisted death. If this is a sensitive subject for you, you might prefer to skip the first play and interview and start listening around the 21 minute mark. Later in the episode, we get our placards ready for Change the World, and I chat to writer Chloe Yates about her experiences at climate marches. But first, a devastating diagnosis leaves a couple with a difficult decision to make. Detachment was written by Frank McMahon, directed and edited by myself, and features the talents of Christopher Tester and Helen Barford. When she told me, I went rigid. Feet clamped to the floor, all my words wiped from my brain. I recovered, but only to morph into two people, constantly arguing with each other. For days, weeks, she was hearing two voices, seeing two faces. Did she anticipate this before she spoke? Until that moment, I had been fine. I say fine. I mean it was less painful. Doubt or denial are a kind of comfort blanket, but you can't hide from the facts forever. The sentence of death. Which was the diagnosis. Motor neuron disease. Until that point, the slow accumulation of symptoms had been like watching a crime drama, where the family and police are hunting for a missing person. And there's a point when you know. You just know. The consultant was honest about the progress of her disease. <laughs> Did I say progress? She meant disintegration. And we had done our research online. That knowledge brought us closer together. We lived the intensity of falling in love all over again. Of course, the first time there was no end in sight. We were in love, immortal in our newly created world. Then, gradually, Responsibilities and preoccupations began to drain away that original, primal energy. Now it was back. The gift of grief. Being childless was a relief. Telling family and friends about the diagnosis was, well, you can guess. Weeks after, she told me, I came together again. I had driven us out to one of our favourite viewpoints, a, a place for walks and hidden lovemaking. We found a bench near the edge of the escarpment. I said I would support her application to the Dignitas Clinic in Zurich. She would be leaving me, but it would be her choice. No, it would be our choice. It had to be our choice. 
She would have to convince them that she had really thought it through, but I would have to escort her to the moment of her final breath through the interviews, medical assessments, the journey, plane, taxi, to an industrial estate, the flat, the final interview, the last acts, drugs, sleep, death. Somehow it seemed easier to say all of this out there. She uh, took my hand and kissed me. And then she laughed. <laughs> if you'd agreed straight away, I would have thought you were trying to get rid of me. I broke down. Cried. Back in the car, she made me promise not to tell family or friends until it was done. So I'll have to face the shitstorm, I blurted out. There was a long silence. You're right. She conceded. We'll have to find another way. It has taken weeks, months to get to this point. Her body growing weaker, but her will stronger and stronger. I left work. I couldn't look after her and do my job properly. I was being hollowed out. We received the letter and the phone call. I buy return tickets for both of us. Just in case. Oh, we've landed. The plane is taxiing to its allocated arrival gate. We will wait until all the other passengers have disembarked. <laughs> he shouldn't have upgraded us to business class, but that's him. <laughs> Loving to surprise me with a treat. I, I, I can't help how I am, but it was a relief to have fewer people to see my fumblings and twitchings. Time was when I could cope with being on public display. Not now. I hate mirrors. No, I could sink into my seat, close my eyes, and listen to Kate Bush singing Running Up That Hill. Feel him holding my hand. Now we can move. This is what it must have been like for the well-heeled to arrive somewhere and have people moving quietly and efficiently to look after them and their baggage. It's a shame that the airport staff aren't in frock coats with gold frogging on their lapels and the female staff elegantly but soberly dressed in ankle-length robes. A special buggy has been arranged and we move slowly. I'm concentrating on looking straight ahead. I've said goodbye to the people and, and the worlds that I know. I don't want to get to know another one. Even if it is just an airport. Passport control and we're being fast-tracked. I suppose being close to death gives you the same status as a diplomat or head of state. <laughs> Lucky me. I got to hate 
airports. I spent too much time flying round Europe on business. He needs to use the loo and get some Swiss francs. I twitch, nod. Sure, no rush. No deadline today. <laughs> what time is it? 3.30. Yes, I mumble. Words are starting to burble out of me now, but I can still speak. I wanted to be able to tell him, right at the end, how much I love him. I'm comfortable in the buggy. The driver will stay with me. I can garble German at him if need be. I close my eyes. Kate Bush is still running up that hill. <laughs> He'll probably go and buy me some Swiss chocolate. Lint and sprungli. He fought me when I told him. He said that love is forever. Said over and over that we would see it through to the end, however bad. Wanted every last minute. In the end, I found the words. You can't ask me to suffer like that just to prove how much you love me. It took him weeks to accept it. I didn't think he would until he told me on the top of that hill. A hand on my shoulder. The driver. We need to find your husband. What? We've been waiting 20 minutes. I'll search the toilets and we'll ask for more help. We drive, looking for him. Hello, Earth. Hello, only. No, at the end it will be Der Abschied, the song of the earth, one of my father's favourite pieces of music, sung by Kathleen Ferrier. Someone else taken away too early. driver stops, disappears, appears, shakes his head. Other staff appear, loud over the tannoy. They're calling his name, asking him to go to the information desk. A colleague. They are checking the CCTV. You can wait, or you might prefer to go to your hotel. I ask the time. 4.30. Hotel. Please. Where are you going? I point a shaking finger at my bag. Yes, you may open it. He studies the document and now he knows. He will arrange an ambulance. It'll only be a few minutes. 
We wait, then move to the exit. I'm lifted, tenderly, into the ambulance. Gute Reise, he says. He's sure my husband will join me later. I've become two persons again. Bought a first-class ticket to Geneva. One way. She decided to leave me. I just can't walk this last mile. I'm not punishing her. She'll know that. Won't she? I'll call the clinic on Friday. Until then, I'll switch off my phone. When I know, I will call our solicitor. She will send out the letters. I will go back home. Sometime. So I'm here with Frank McMahon. We're actually sat in the National Theatre at the moment. We're about to go into rehearsal for Detachment. So this is even way, way before we've recorded it. But Frank, hello. Welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast. Hello, Natalie, and great to be here. Thank you for the uh, invitation. Could you tell us a bit about you and your writing style and your writing history, please? Okay, well, um, my professional career has been in social work with three local authorities, uh, British Red Cross and Action for Children. So some years ago I started writing plays uh, with the aim of getting them either on the radio or TV or the theatre. Well, sadly, none of that has happened, but it was a good apprenticeship. I suppose my first love in writing has been poetry, which has been sort of on and off, but it's, it's in the last two or three years that has really taken off. I've written some short plays for Corinium Radio and they've been performed by members of the Somewhere Else Writers Group. I've also uh, written a novel for children which a colleague of mine is editing and written a few short stories. So it's been quite a busy three years. Yeah, it has. Somewhere Else Writers Group, is that... Oh, Claire, Claire, Claire Finnemore. Claire Finnemore, yes, yeah. Claire Finnemore. Yeah. How funny. I know. Do you, so you know that she had a piece in the last I do, series. well Claire led and I followed. How it's, I didn't realise that you two had that link, but I directed yeah, yeah. her I piece last ne- time. I was sitting next to her at the meeting yesterday. Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, I know Claire well. Yeah. There you go. Small, it's a very good world. piece that she did. It, it, yeah, yeah, I really loved working yeah, on it. It was, yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that was a nice surprise for me. Okay. Um, so for you, is there a difference in writing for theatre or poetry or a, like a visual or just to be read form compared to an audio only form? Well, I think writing for um, drama, uh, whatever sort of genre it is, uh, I'm particularly conscious of of, of voices and how voices match to characters. So having um, distinct voices with clear characteristics, obviously as well as a a good plot and a well-constructed story. Writing poetry is I'm kind of listening to my own voice and then when I I read it to the group and share it, I, I... get feedback on how that voice comes over to them and how the poem can be uh, developed further. Well, the same result would also be true for the, you know, the, the plays as well. I get sort of feedback, this could be better, that could be better. 
So I suppose, I suppose yes, the heart of it, there's always a voice. Do you mind if we talk about the inspiration of this piece? I know it's, it's quite an, a personal question to ask, but does it come from personal experience or does it come from your social work experience? No, what, where it comes from is um, there are kind of stories on the news that just sort of grab you. Mm. And there is this very live issue in this country about, about whether people can have assisted de- dying or not. Mm. And obviously the law says that they can't. So um, people go off to the clinic in Zurich where it, it, it is legal and it's a kind of way of reducing the suffering. Um, I, mean, they, they, I mean, these are very profound and, and moral questions, mm. obviously. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to explore it from the perspective of the husband or the partner um, mm. of the person who's actually going to uh, elect to die. Um, because I wondered, kind of reading about and following these stories in the news, how the, um, the closest and the relatives feel mm. about what's going on. And I guess they, I would imagine, or I don't know, they must go through awful periods of ambivalence. Yeah. And I suppose I, a particular angle that I brought to the story was there's a very difficult moral judgment to be made here by the husband and and you know how it plays out mm. but i but i wasn't making any particular sort of moral point and i, and I think moral ambiguity uh can provide some really intense drama yeah. uh and, and and food for thought so so it's a kind of story from the public domain that grabbed me and i just felt inspired to write something about it yeah. so it doesn't come from fortunately it does not come from personal experience mm-hmm. well, i think some of the the best uh, stories do that they don't preach what's right they just tell the truth yeah. and make the audience think mm. well thank you very much for that that was okay. that was really lovely and insightful and um, if people were interested in seeing more of your work or hearing more of your work we know that we, they can go to the the radio station but is there do you have a website are you on social media i don't have a website i've got a facebook page but i'm beginning to develop that now mm-hmm. They could look at the website for Palewell Press mm-hmm. in London, who are publishing my poems this this month. Uh, they could look at the somewhere else writers dot uh, org dot uk website and blog if they want to find more of my work uh, or the work of the group. Um, so I think those are the three main sources at the moment of, yeah. of people if people are interested. Your um, collected works that are going to be published are they is that going to be in general bookshops online at the moment yes it's, it is printed version so it'll be available uh through waterstones and amazon mm-hmm. um there is an option to develop into an e-book mm-hmm. um it's being launched in in, in Sarcester at, at the end of january so i'm kind of busy marketing and trying to promote it as well mm-hmm. and get people to come to the launch and obviously buy buy the poetry so uh so January is pretty pretty focused on that at the moment. Well, fantastic. Well, good luck with it. And uh, yeah, I'll put links to everything you've just talked about in the show notes. So if people want to buy it, they can. Great. Right. Thank you so much, Frank. That's okay. My pleasure. Thank you again to Frank for writing this heartbreaking piece and to Chris and Helen for their work on it. Assisted death is still against the law in the UK, but it doesn't prevent people from visiting the Dignitas Clinic in Switzerland or taking more drastic measures. Friends or family members who accompany someone to Dignitas risk up to 14 years in prison upon their return to the UK. 
If you are in the difficult position of needing advice and resources on assisted dying, Compassion in Dying and their sister campaign, Dignity in Dying, are challenging the UK law on this issue, and they're there for you. You might remember me chatting to Claire Finnamore last season about the Sirencester-based Somewhere Else Writers Group, and Frank also mentioned it in his interview just then. And they're clearly up to some fantastic stuff there, so if you're based in the area, do go and get in touch. Helen Barford, who played the wife with motor neuron disease in Detachment, also recently released the audiobook I Could Be You by Sheila Bugler. It's an addictive and gripping suspense thriller, and you can find it on Audible now. Finally, Christopher Tester, who played the husband, is currently producing Chaplin, Birth of a Tramp, with Arrows and Traps, performing at the Jack Studio Theatre in London until the 22nd of February. Then he's going on tour as Hyde in Jekyll and Hyde, starting at the Old Rep Theatre Birmingham starting the 26th of February. Check out arrowsandtraps.com for tour dates and to book. As always, I will put links to everything I've just talked about in the show notes below, so go check it out. Next up, Millie and Hope are on their way to a protest but when the stakes are raised, their differences are brought to light. Change the World was written by Chloe Yates, directed and edited by Lorraine Ansell, and features Ellie Gill as Millie and Yasmin Newell as Hope. No, it was really... It was gorgeous. We went a couple of years ago. It was actually really lovely when we went, because all the state schools had already started again, so it was completely empty. I am so jealous. You're going to absolutely love it. Oh, make sure you keep your bags close to you, though. There's pickpockets. I know, yeah, my mum got her wallet stolen. Oh, it's disgusting. Yeah, just be aware. Oh, wait, did you hear about what happened at the party? Oh, uh, Phoebe's. i got to go. Um, uh, Hope's just here, but we'll, we'll see you there. Yeah, yeah, no, I'll tell you what about it when we get there. 20 minutes-ish, Max. Okay, all right, let's love. Bye. Is that Phoebe? Yeah, she's just getting there now. You know she's going to Tuscany tomorrow. Fucking jealous. Let's see your sign. Respect your mother. Nice. Let's see yours. Wake up and smell the carbon. Wake up and smell the carbon. It's good, right? Very good. Where is this fucking bus? Look, do you want to just catch an Uber? Why? It'll be faster. Well, it's going to take the same amount of time. Let's just get the bus. There's an Uber two minutes away. I'm not getting an Uber. Look. Hussein could be our driver. Don't you want to meet Hussein? Stop being such a lazy fucker. We're getting the bus. Is uh, Danny going to be there? I don't think her mum's letting her go. Really? You've met her mum, haven't you? Bit of a tyrant. But oh my god, her vegan cupcakes honestly make me orgasm. It's safe though, right? To orgasm? Yeah. The protest. Are you joking? Of course it's safe. Well then why isn't she letting her go? Like I said tyrant she let her go to carnival yeah i know i thought it was going to be like the women's march yeah it is just a bit more rowdy rowdy well it has to be rowdy doesn't it we have to cause a bit of chaos it's the only way to make them listen look at this picture emily posted and where is that the fucking bitch in Bali. I literally told her to put any picture up except for that one. Why? Because my hair. I look like a fucking... You look nice. I look like a troll. Oh, shut up. God, so what are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. Just go and wave our signs, I guess, and do all the like, what do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. Now. <laughs> that kind of thing. Oh, I love it. Are you on the Facebook group? They were saying they need volunteers to help with the food. They serve food? 
For the people camping overnight? People camp overnight. Oh, maybe we should camp overnight. Oh, no, I've got work tomorrow. This is the Facebook group. Oh, look, so, I mean, it looks like there are mainly people just sitting around. Oh, look at those guys dancing. Oh, there's kids and everything. Wait, go back? We should really get some face paint. Go back, Millie. They're all getting arrested. Yeah. Why? Well, they're blocking the roads and stuff. Is that illegal? I think so. So they're breaking the law? Kind of the point of a protest. That's a lot of policemen, Mill. They're just there to make sure everyone's safe. Did you hear what happened on Friday? No, what? What? Not what. Who? Who? Uh, who? John. John! <laughs> no. How? At the party. We were just chatting, sharing a bottle of Little's Finest, and then he gets up, gives me this little winky face like this, and leads me into the kitchen. <laughs> the kitchen? The fucking kitchen. We start making out, very nice, very romantic, then we hear Beth outside. Who's Beth? Oh, she... It doesn't matter. Is Beth his girlfriend? Maybe. Millie. But wait. So he grabs my hand and just, like, pulls me under the table. The table? I hit my head on the way down. Oh, my God. (laughs) We're trying not to laugh, and Beth walks in with Tom. Who's Tom? Alice's friend with the curly hair. Oh, yeah, I like Tom. Yeah. And then they start making out, and me and John are just there, like, hiding under the table, and his face hope. (laughs) He looks like he's about to burst into tears. What? But he... I know, but it's different for guys, isn't it? So what did you do? Nothing. Just sit under the table and wait for them to go. And then? They left and we had sex. Under the table? Under the table. Oh my God, Millie. You should have come. It was a good party. Oh, you know I had to work. To my wife for having sex under the table. To my wife for never coming to parties. To sex. To table. To climate justice. To us. To us. You can eat it, Mel. Hello? Yeah, no, Hope's here. We're just waiting for the bus. It says two minutes. What? Shit, really? Okay, well, we're coming. I guess we could... Are you Are you going to? Yeah, no, no, I, I don't know. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, just keep me updated, okay? Yeah, all right. Okay, bye. They're getting arrested. What? Who? Loads of people. The police are kettling them. It's Phoebe. They're calling for more people to be arrested voluntarily. What? They need more people on the front lines. Front lines? This isn't a war. Well, she's saying that it's escalating, that they need more people now or it might all fall through. Where is this fucking bus? Wait, but are you... Look, I'm going to order an Uber. Maybe we should just go home. What? This is important hope. We can't let it fall through. I can't go if... Come on, don't do that. No, I can't. Don't pussy out now. I can't get arrested. I can't. It's not that big of a... No, but it's different for you. Hope. No, because you can get arrested and your dad will come and pay your bail and collect you from the station. What are you... I'm the one who'll get arrested first and I'm the one who probably won't be able to get a job because of it. Being arrested for political activism isn't going to affect your future. If anything, it's going to... I'll get kicked out of uni. I won't be able to get a job, Millie. (sighs) That's bullshit and you know it. Screw this. Hope. Hope! Where are you going? I can't afford to get arrested. 
What do you mean? It's just... Not everyone is lucky enough to live in your world, Millie. What are you talking about? You go to Oxford. And I intend to keep my place there. I don't have a single qualification to my name. If anyone's not going to be able to get a job, it's me. It's not just about qualifications, though, is it? Don't pull that one on me. Don't. You're the one with the advantage here. I'm more... I'm sorry, did you just... You go to fucking Oxford. I don't even... Have you ever been stopped and searched, Millie? I... In your entire life, have you ever been stopped and searched? You have three family homes. I don't... Your dad runs the biggest airline company in Britain. He doesn't run the... He paid for you and your two sisters to go to one of the top schools in the country. You went to that school as well? I went on a fucking scholarship. Look, you just go and get arrested, all right? Have fun. No. No, I won't have that hope. I won't let you say those things to me when you know what I've been through. So what? I grew up with money. This world runs on money. I missed three years of school because of what I went through. Oh yeah, poor you. You've been through some real shit, haven't you? Starving yourself near to death. You did that to yourself. I was ill. No, no. My mum was ill. You chose not to eat. You made that choice. You know... When I was in hospital, they would make me write letters to my future self. I didn't think I had a future self. I didn't want a future self. But they made us write these stupid fucking letters, and so I wrote one. And I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to write, so I asked one of the nurses. And she said to maybe start by asking questions. Questions like, what job do you have? Where do you live? Who is your closest friend? And I smiled when she said that. I smiled. Because I knew that if I had a future self, there was only ever one person who would be my closest friend. Mel, um... But now, I don't know. I didn't mean that. But have you ever been stopped and searched? Hey, Phoebes, how is it? <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, oh. Oh, you heard, yeah, John, I know, under the table. <laughs> I'll tell you about it later, okay? No, I'm coming, I'm coming, yeah, no, I'm just jumping in an Uber. Around 10 minutes? Okay, I'll see you in a bit. Bye. Bye. Saying's two minutes away, are you coming? No, no, I'm gonna go home. I've got work tomorrow. Just so you know, in this dynamic, I will never be the one with the advantage. Change the world, yeah? Okay, so I am here with Chloe Yates, the writer of Change the World. You've just sat in listening to your team record because you're here on the recording day. How was that yes. for you? It was really good fun. It was really, really great. I've never done any audio stuff. So it was really interesting to learn the kind of process of it and like do that after the kind of pickups and things like that. It was really, yeah, really good fun. So the people listening will have literally just heard Change the World, but we don't know anything about you. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your writing background? Yeah, um, I am 21, um, I live in London, and I have always wanted to be a writer, always have kind of been a writer um, since I was little, and then 
um, yeah, when I, I used to write poetry, I was quite big into like spoken word poetry, so performance poetry and, you know, went to all the kind of open mic nights thinking I was like really cool and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, then when I was about 16, 17, in my school took part in the National Theatre's New Views competition, oh, cool. which is a playwriting competition. And I went along and wrote a play um, and they had people coming in and stuff. And I, yeah, I was hooked. I, I really loved the kind of efficiency of just dialogue and like writing for theatre. Um, and since then, yeah, just been kind of writing plays. Um, Great. Yeah, so. So you yeah. said you'd never done anything for audio before. No. Did you work with Lorraine, the director, to adapt the piece for audio? A little bit, yeah. It was already, so it was a piece for, for theatre, for stage, and it kind of just happened that it worked quite well for audio just by mm -hmm. chance. I didn't write it for audio at all, but yeah, we worked a little bit just on adapting a few like visual things mm -hmm. that, um, just needed a bit of changing but that was yeah that was a really interesting kind of process yeah I think that's the thing I think plays for audio do need to have that consideration that the audience are not gonna be able to see yeah. or read emotional changes but yeah. a lot of the time if it's if it's a dialogue based piece it's probably okay and won't need that yeah. much work yeah and I think you can still have those moments what what I've just learned I guess from the from the recording studios you can still have those moments where you you can see that you can visualize their faces, you know, just through audio. You can you can you can still have those moments um, using just the dialogue. Yeah, the um, so the protest that happens in Change the World that goes pretty badly. Like we, yeah. the, the characters don't experience it directly, but we yeah. kind of hear it seems like it's going badly. Yeah. And some of the demonstrations by Extinction Rebellion last year had quite mm -hmm. a lot of arrests as well, but. But not all of them do. Not mm. every protest no. does. Do yeah. you do you attend climate rallies or protests yourself? I do. Yeah, I I got quite involved in the Extinction Rebellion uh, protests, um, and yeah, I went along to the rallies. I guess living in London and a lot of my friends, we would, we would all go, um, and it was it, it felt it was great. But um, and I, you know, you do feel when you're there, you feel like there is a real force of change, mm. but yeah I'm coming from a very privileged position so yeah it's um yeah. do you have any any positive or uplifting stories from those protests that you went to that you can think of yeah I mean I think just when you're in that crowd again it's like when you're in the crowd among those people there's it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter where you come from mm -hmm. because what you're what you're standing up for what you believe in as a collective is kind of bigger than who you are as a person mm -hmm. um and it's um what you believe in does unify you all. So I think, and and yeah, you do really feel that um, something is changing and something is shifting. And that is, I think it is a power of good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank do you, you have, if people wanted to find you, follow your work in the future, do you have, uh, well, do you have anything coming up to start with? Or do you have a website or social media people can follow you on? I have, um, I don't really do social media. I Fine. find it a bit too much. Um, Upcoming things I have, but they're in January, so I think this might have come ah, already okay. come out. No, so they're coming out at the end of January. Um, hopefully there will be more. But um, what what are they anyway? They, I've got a, a short, an extract from a play that I've written with a friend um, going on at the Old Theatre Delhi nice. on a um, night called Transforming the Narrative mm -hmm. on the twenty sixth of January, and then at 
the Chiswick Playhouse, there's a new fest a festival a festival of new writing, and I've got a short play going on on the twenty eighth of Jan there. Oh, amazing! Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah. So as Chloe said, they will be in the past as yeah. of when the audience <laughs> listens to this. But it's good to know that you're you're doing yeah. more stuff, and uh, yeah, you'll have to let us know if anything comes yeah. up that we can uh, tell people about. Yeah. But thank you very much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you to all our creatives in this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed the plays and we'll be back again next week with two more. The Ragged Scratch podcast brought to you by Ragged Foils Productions was produced and hosted by Natalie Winter. Play edits by Lorraine Ansel and Natalie Winter. The recording engineer was Kirsty Gilmore. The Ragged Scratch podcast theme music was composed by Alex Jones. Thanks to our duelist, swashbuckler and savant tier Patreon supporters, John Grayson, Lizzie Wilding and Ruth. You can find us online at Ragged Foils across Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where we've been tagging this week's creatives so you can find out more about them and their work. See you next week. Thank you.